Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are so good. Lord, let praises rise from our hearts, and may you be tearing down everything that stands opposed to Jesus. The idols of our heart, the idols of our culture, the things that hinder us and keep us from saying yes to the things that are most important to you. Lord, would you speak? May your servants hear. And help me as I open your word to follow you, Jesus. Lord, my sins are many. Forgive me. And our sins are many. Forgive us. Lord, may from our lives and our mouths come the good news about Jesus. Lord, would you make it real to hearts this morning? To some who've never trusted you, to others who have walked with you for many years, make it so new and fresh that it bring renewal in our hearts. And God, we have nothing apart from you. So we're leaning in, we're counting on you, we're inviting you to do something in this place that we're powerless to do on our own. Lord, would you bring revival to your church and healing to our community, and may you bring hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people to faith in Christ through your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're starting a new series this week. It's called Fishing for Men. And it's Jesus' invitation to us as he invited his disciples to follow him and fish for men. Through this series, we, we want God to do a few things. We would love for Jesus to equip us to go fishing for men. We would love for each of you to learn a simple way to share the gospel with others that involves learning to say the bad news and the good news, and to invite people to put their trust in Jesus for forgiveness and for eternal life. And we're asking God to be at work through this series to help us team up for the gospel, that in the weeks between now and Christmas Eve, we would see more and more people teaming up together to break the sound barrier and share Christ with people where they live and work and play, When you think about that, do you think it's important for people in the church to break the sound barrier and share the gospel with other people? Is that important or unimportant? It's important. How important do you think it is? If this is unimportant, am I getting warmer? Warmer? Tell me when to stop. How important is it? Should I keep going? Keep going? Get on the stool? Is that how important it is to put my life in jeopardy? Thanks, Dave. (laughs) It's really important. Now, what about on the scale of possibility versus impossibility? Is it possible in our strength and our power and our ability to raise the dead to life and through the gospel to see people born again? Can we do that? Is it impossible or is it possible. If this is possible and this is impossible, tell me when to stop. Keep going. It's impossible. So we have something that we know is important. It's 
close to the heart of God, and we also know that it's impossible in our own strength. What do you do with something that seems so important, but also seems so impossible? If you're like me, then you're prone to worry. But sometimes, by God's grace, my heart turns away from worry and turns to worship and prayer to the God who takes the important and makes it possible and invites me into being a part of what he's doing in the world to accomplish the impossible when I say yes to what's most important to him. We, we have so many things in our life that seem so important but also seem impossible. You know the feeling, right? I mean, have you worried about anything this week? Listen, worry is what happens when the important seems impossible. Listen, maybe, maybe, you're, maybe you're a parent. You know, those four kids that you have in ho at home, by the time you got to Friday night, it seemed like you had 18 kids. There's so many problems. Is it possible that we only have four kids? Yeah, we still only have four kids. Are your kids important? But it feels so impossible. Listen, listen maybe you're a teacher. Maybe you're a teacher and you, you have a classroom full of students. And when you look at the kids in your classroom, you think, I got a bunch of Mike Tysons in here. And when you send emails home to the parents, you get replies that make you think that the parents think they're all Bill Gates. And what's important, teaching, seems impossible. Maybe you're a business owner. And every two weeks, those people that work for you, they think it's important that that piece of paper you give them, when they go to their bank, will translate into actual money. That's really important to them, that you pay them every two weeks. But sometimes it feels impossible. You ever feel that? The important feels impossible. There was a weekend in my life where this became so clear to me that what was important to God was impossible for me. It was the weekend of April 22nd, 23rd, 24th, and 25th. April 22nd, 1999, Madeline was born. <laughs> important? Yes. Impossible? Yes. April 24th, I stood in front of a room. It was maybe a little bit bigger than this, and it wasn't nearly as full, but it was the people who were there were pastors and teachers, and they were examining me to see if I was qualified <laughs> uh, to be a pastor-teacher in the church. Important? Yes. Impossible? Yes. And then the next morning, we, we took Madeline home from the hospital that Saturday. The next morning, I stood up in a church, and I preached on that Sunday morning for the first time in this church that I would pastor, my first pastorate. Important? Yes. Impossible? 
I mean, I learned pretty quick. I, I went to put Madeline in the car seat, and I thought, did I do this right? I mean, if I stop, stop short, is this car seat going to go from the back of the car to the front of the car? What are these people thinking sending this child home with me? And what is our denomination thinking entrusting to me the stewardship of God's word? They must be crazy. And, and what is this church doing entrusting me with the shepherding of their souls? Important? Yes. Impossible? Yes. But what if... What if the way that God would choose to move in our lives, that the important things in our lives could be met with the possibility of God's amazing grace meeting us in our need? What if the way God would choose to show up is when we said yes? What if the way he chose to show up and do the impossible was when we leaned into saying yes to doing that thing that's most important to him. When we leaned in and said yes to doing with him the impossible, when we said yes to doing that thing that's closest to his heart, the taking of the gospel and the spreading it abroad. Oh, with man, it's impossible. But with God... All things are possible. And what if the way God chose to work in your life so that he could show you that what's important to you was important to him is when you said yes to, to being a part of what was important to him, reaching people with the gospel. Listen, who were some of the people in the New Testament who were kind of a big deal? Who were big deal people in the New Testament? Who were some of them? Paul. Who else? Oh, New Testament. Peter. Who else? Okay, Jesus. We got Jesus. We nailed that one. Paul, Peter, who else? Okay, great. Now, now listen. We've got a bunch of guys, and there's some women in there too. Priscilla, Aquila, Syntyche, Eudia. There's some, there's some really important women in the New Testament too. But you know what they all learn along the way? That the things that are important are impossible. Let me show you that from the example of one of them. His name was Paul. He's a big deal, right? He was included in your little faith hall of fame you were just sharing about. And Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he says this. To the one, an aroma from death to death. To the other, an aroma from life to life. Who is adequate for these things? So is what Paul is up to important or unimportant? It's important. It's so important, he calls it life and death. But is it possible or impossible? Paul says, in his own strength, it's impossible. Who is adequate for these things? The New International Version translates it this way. To one we are an aroma that brings death, to the other an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Important, life and death. Possible, 
impossible. Who is equal to such a task? This is the way the message translates it. Those on the way to destruction treat us more like the stench from a rotting corpse. (laughs) You see what I'm up against here? i got to try and convince you that being a part of getting the gospel out is worth smelling like the stench from a rotten corpse. Impossible. This is a terrific responsibility. Is anyone competent to take it on? Impossible. Consider the next chapter, a few chapters later in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says this, We have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Is it important? Yes, it's treasure. It's treasure. Nothing is more valuable than getting the gospel out to people. It's treasure. Is it possible or impossible? We are earthen vessels. We have treasure in earthen vessels. It's impossible. Where? What is it? What is it that bridges the gap between the important and the impossible? It's the greatness of the power of God. What meets the important with the impossible? The power of God. Not just the little power of God, the surpassing greatness of the power of God. The surpassing greatness, it's the Greek word hyperbole. And the power, the dunamis, where we get the word dynamite. The hyperbolic dynamite of God is what bridges the gap between the important and the impossible. And when we lean in to saying yes to what's important to God, He begins to show us how He can do the impossible, not only in getting the gospel out to the nations, but in helping us with our four kids or our 18 students or our 15 employees. And God becomes more real in our life when we lean in to saying yes to what's important to Him. Jesus taught His disciples how to lean in and say yes to what was most important to Him. We're going to read about that this morning. And then we're going to study it for the next five weeks leading up to Christmas. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. As Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee. Jesus shows, listen, Jesus was walking. You say, well, of course. I mean, he didn't have a car. But he wasn't running 
He wasn't walking briskly. He wasn't riding on a horse or a donkey. He was walking. Jesus lived life at three miles an hour. He was walking. And Matthew and Mark give us the impression that maybe Jesus was just out for a stroll early in the morning, watching the sunrise over the Sea of Galilee. But Luke tells us that Jesus was up to something else. Luke tells us that this area around the Sea of Galilee was a place that Jesus often went to preach and teach. Why would he go to this area around the Sea of Galilee? Because there were people there. Jesus loved people. He loved to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God to people. So he went where people were, to the marketplace, along the Sea of Galilee, where fish were being caught and sold. And he preached the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom that God had come near to seek and to save that which was lost. And that something had been fulfilled when Jesus stepped into his creation. Something had happened. God had broken in. And nothing would ever be the same again. Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee. And he sees two brothers, Peter and Andrew, and another set of brothers, James and John. Brothers, community, a family. Two sets of families. Jesus often works through community. You see him again and again working through not just a person, but couples, sets of people. So he works through Peter and Andrew. He works through James and John. He works through Philip and Bartholomew, two friends. He works through Mary and Martha, two sisters. Then his their brother Lazarus. He works through his disciples, sending them out. After he's equipped them, he sends them out. Alone? No, two by two. First the 12, then the 72. When he sends Paul out on his missionary journey, he sends Paul out alone? No, with Barnabas. And later with Timothy and often with Luke and a collection of other followers of Jesus. Jesus most often works through communities of people. So listen, if you want to be involved in what God is doing, if you want to say yes to what God says is most important, if you want to lean in and see God show up in your life by saying yes to what's most important to Him so that what's important to you might begin to be transformed, say yes to community. If you want to know where God is on the move, look to see where people are and go there. Go to where people are with the message of the gospel. Go to where people are to team up with others. Jesus most often works through community. That's why we say it's so important to step into a small group. To say yes to biblical community because that's the place that God's going to show up. That's the place where you can lean in to say yes to what's most important to him. These two brothers, two sets of brothers, are fishermen. Two of them, Andrew and Peter, are casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. 
The other two brothers, James and, and, and John, are mending their nets. What I see in this work of casting and mending, casting and mending, is that the casting is important. The casting is important. There's fish in the sea, and to catch them, we have to cast our net. But if we cast nets that haven't been mended, then it's impossible. And so what God wants to do as you lean into him is he wants to mend your net. He wants to bring renewal through the gospel into your life. He wants to make you a mended net useful to his kingdom. And when he moves into your life to mend those places in your life that are broken, watch out because that's the time and the place where he wants to send you out to cast for fish. I see in this the dynamic of the important and the impossible coming together when God in his mercy mends our nets. Oh God, would you mend the nets of my heart? Would you fill the holes in my heart? We live in a town named for St. Augustine. And St. Augustine says there is a God-shaped hole in all of our hearts that can only be filled by him. God is the only thing that can mend the net of your heart. And when God moves in to mend your net, he moves in to mend your net, to bring renewal to your life through the gospel so that you're ready to go and be cast for fishing for men. I also see in this casting and mending the diversity of gifts, the diversity of gifts. And so Peter, who was one of the fishermen, Peter would later say in his letter, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, So whoever speaks is to do so as one speaking the utterance of God, and whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I mean, Peter can't help himself. When Peter starts talking about Jesus, he just, whoom, way up high. Glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. Oh, that we were like that. That it's just the mention of Jesus. We would be so excited. But there's a diversity of gifts within the body. That's why it's so important that we teen up because we don't all speak and we don't all serve. But when we do it together, we have some to cast and some to mend. Some to steep down and serve mending nets and others to step up and speak and cast the nets as wide as possible. There's a diversity of gifts in the body. There's a diversity of gifts in this room. Some speak and some serve and we're all important. We're all important. He said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus' first invitation to these disciples is that they follow him, that they literally get behind him, that, that as we watch him walk, we step in his steps. 
as we see his sandaled feet go through life, we speed up to stay in rhythm with him. As he walks, we learn to walk. Follow me, and I will make you. I will equip you. I will teach you. I will model for you. Jesus never asks us to do what he hasn't already done. And he never invites us to do something that when we lean into doing it in obedience to him, he won't equip us for. And he says, what's important to me, what I value most, what I'm going to equip you for is to fish for men. Listen, when you fish for fish, you take the living and they end up dead. But when you fish for people, if you'll lean into letting me equip you, when you fish for people, you'll take that which is dead and I'll make them alive. Oh, be done with fishing for fish. Fish for men. Say yes to what's important to me and I'll do the impossible. I'll bring the dead to life. And immediately... They left their nets and followed him. And immediately they left the boat with their father and followed him. Now, I've read this story hundreds of times. And every time I read this story, I always thought that Jesus was like some sort of Jedi He was like Obi-Wan Kenobi, and he walked up to Peter and James and John and, and Andrew, and he said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And under some spell from the Jedi Master, they left their nets and followed him. And I said, well, I guess I'm out then because I've never experienced those Jedi powers in my life. But that's not how it happened at all. See, their decision to follow Jesus, it seems radical, it seems decisive, but it wasn't reckless because they already knew Jesus. When you begin to read the Gospels chronologically, you see that for 18 months, Peter and Andrew and James and John had spent time with Jesus. In fact, they were originally followers of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist introduced Andrew to Jesus. And he introduced James and John to Jesus. And they began to follow him. And they went with him to Jerusalem. They went with him to a wedding at Cana in Galilee. They went with him to the synagogue. They saw him heal people. And he revealed to them his glory and his power. And he invited them to follow him, not recklessly, as if they were meeting him for the first time on the seashore in Galilee, but based on the information they already had about his identity as the Son of God who was bringing the kingdom to bear on the earth, who had come to seek and to save that which was lost. They were making a decision to follow Jesus based on what they already knew to be true about him. And so the question for you and the question for me is, what are we going to do about Jesus? 
What are we going to do about Jesus, the Son of God, who's come into the world to seek and to save that which was lost? What are we going to do about Jesus' life? Because if you look at the pages of the Gospels, you'll see that no one ever lived the way Jesus lived. Albert Einstein, pretty bright. I'm not sure that he ever became a follower of Jesus, but when Albert Einstein spoke about Jesus, he said, I am a Jew, but I am captivated by the luminous figure of the Nazarene. Look at his life. What are you going to do about the luminous figure of the Nazarene? Look at his life. See the righteousness of his life, the obedience of his life, the power of his life, the glory of his life, the greatness of his life. Look at Jesus. What are you going to do with him? What are you going to do with his death? What are you going to do with a man who climbed on a cross and from the cross said things like, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What are you going to do with one who is willing to climb on a cross, who said of his cross that he, if he be lifted up, would draw all people unto himself? What are you going to do with someone who on a cross paid the full and awful penalty that your sins deserve? What are you going to do with one who from the cross shed his blood for the remission, the taking away, the forgiveness of sins. What are you going to do with Jesus' death? Jesus died and he was buried. And the third day he rose again from the dead. What are you going to do with an empty tomb? What are you going to do with a Savior who rose from the dead? What are you going to do with the hope that is offered to you? That an eternal kind of life is offered to you through faith in Jesus. That through his resurrection, he says that you will be raised from the dead too. What are you going to do with Jesus? And immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Are you following him? Is today the day when you need to say yes to admitting, Jesus, Jesus, I haven't lived the way you lived. My life hasn't been characterized by righteousness. My life has been characterized by the very opposite, sin. I've come short of the glory for which I was created. As an image bearer, I haven't glorified God in all the things that I've said and, and thought and done. And I've left so many things undone. I've sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jesus, I believe that through your death on the cross that you have paid the full and awful penalties that my sin deserves. Jesus, I believe you rose again from the dead and you offer to me righteousness, forgiveness, and an eternal kind of life. I'll follow you. Have you said that? Won't you? And won't you say yes to, to going on with Jesus? Continuing to follow him? What does he do as you follow him? He equips you. What does he do? He invites you. He invites you to learn his kind of life.
an eternal kind of life, a different kind of life, the life of a disciple, the life of an apprentice to him. And as you follow him, as you step in his sandaled steps, he'll begin to make the things that are important to the Father important to you. And when you say yes to what's important to the Father, he'll make the things that are important to you possible. So what, what should we do in response to such a great invitation? Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. What ought we do? We ought to follow him. We ought to team up for the gospel. Just as Jesus invited Andrew and, and Peter, just as Jesus invited James and John, he invites us to team up to express our followership to Jesus in biblical community. When we team up, the impossible becomes possible. The things that are important to him become possible for us. When we team up, we have access to the diverse gifts of the body, some to cast and others to mend, some to speak and some to serve. When we team up, we can do so much more than when we try to go fishing alone. When we team up, we team up for what's important to the Father. We team up for the gospel. We team up to go fishing for men. We team up to cast and to mend. We team up. We team up for the gospel. When we team up for the gospel, when we step into biblical community, we lean in together. Those moments when, when you begin to worry, someone else can begin to pray. And when those moments when someone else begins to worry, you can begin to pray. When we team up, we're, we can go so much farther together than we can alone. I remember a story. Two Indians stood up on top of a plateau looking down into the valley below filled with buffalo the younger Indian said to the older Indian, let's run down there and kill him. Let's, let's just go get one. And the older Indian said, how about we walk down and we kill them all? Let's not just get one. Let's walk down together. Jesus says, hey, let's walk. Let's walk together. Let's walk together. Let's say yes to what's most important to the Father being most important to us. Let's lean in to seeing God do what only God can do, that he would do the impossible. He said, well, you know, I, I've tried to share my faith. I've tried to. That's why we do it together. Say, well, I've talked to all the lost people that I know to talk to. That's why we do it together. I, I've failed so many times. That's why we do it together in the power of the gospel. What if, what if the way that the Father wanted to show up in your life 
was when you said yes to leaning in, to teaming up together with others for the gospel? What if, as a small group leader, you began to lean in to helping your small group begin to team up for the gospel? What if we said yes to going fishing together over the next six weeks? What if we said yes to going fishing to let Jesus equip us? to learn a simple way to share our faith and then to team up together to communicate that faith to lost people? What if you turned this week in your small group to page 41 of the study and you just asked those simple questions about how you could team up together? What, what if you just begin to ask, what do you see in the lives of people around you? How can we move in to help meet those needs? If we gathered lost people together, how would we do it? If we got some lost people together, how would we share the gospel with them? If we shared the gospel with them, how would we invite them to receive Christ? What if we started by praying that the Father would show us how to go fishing for people? What if we started by asking for forgiveness for all the ways that what's important to the Father hasn't been important to us? And what if we asked Him through us to do the impossible? What if we asked for the glory of God and the power of God to bridge the gap between the important and the impossible? And what if that became the way? What if that became the way that our homes and our neighborhoods and our businesses and our small groups, and our schools were set on fire for God. John Wesley, John Wesley who reached thousands of people for the gospel during the Great Awakening, John Wesley was approached by another pastor once, and he said, John, what's your secret? I, I'd like to reach thousands of people. How do you do it? He was looking for a method. John Wesley said, I get alone with my father and I ask him to set me on fire for his glory. And then I stand before people and I let them watch me burn. Oh, that we would stand together before the father in community and we would ask him to set our hearts on fire for what's important to him and that he would help us say yes to doing the impossible where his power and glory, the surpassing power of God, become visible in our midst. And this city watches us burn for him. Let's pray. Father, would you move in our midst? Would you turn our hearts from all the things that are important to us to the one thing that's most important to you? And as we turn our hearts, as you turn our hearts towards that which is most important to you, could could you begin to set all those things in our lives that seem important to us in the right order, in the right proportion, in the right 
frame of reference so that we could begin to move from worrying about all sorts of things to leaning in to trust you to make all things right if we follow your will. Father, what's impossible for us, you make possible. And that starts when, when we look, we take a real look at the life of Jesus and, and we consider and say yes to following him. Father, for someone here this morning, they, they've never said yes to that step of following Jesus. They've heard this morning of his life, his death, his resurrection. And if you have heard that story for the first time this morning and you're ready to say yes to following him, won't you simply say to him, Jesus, I admit my life doesn't match your life. Your life is better. I'll follow you. Jesus, your death on the cross was for me. I'll trust you. I believe you died and were was buried. Jesus, you rose again from the dead. And you invite me to a whole new way of life. I'll follow you. And Jesus, all of us, all of us would want to, to team up for the gospel. But it's not easy for us. In fact, it's impossible. So Lord, by the gospel, renew us, revive us again, that your people might delight in you. For we pray through Christ. Amen.